Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Coach Aaron, and joining me as always for this week's episode on the Ben Affleck-led basketball drama, The Way Back, is my assistant coach, Patrick. Yo, 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 what's up? You know, I was hoping you'd drop an F-bomb, kind of, like... <laughs> I, I was going to, and I, said, I couldn't think of anything clever uh, that would necessitate that. So good, good job. <laughs> you can keep your job as my assistant coach, then. We don't have to let you go <laughs> for breaking uh, team rules. Well, regular listeners may recall that we originally intended to cover this film on the week of its release back in March of 2020, which feels like five years ago, but that happened right at the exact weekend that Seattle got shut down due to COVID-19, and we subsequently decided to take a short podcast break, and so we are excited to be coming back to this one finally, and it's going to be as part of a two-week series on basketball movies to celebrate the return of college basketball, which is my personal favorite sport. Without any further ado, Patrick, let's just jump right into it. What was your one more takeaway for The Way Back? Sobering. And yes, as you said offline, clever. Yeah, very punful. But watching this movie for a second time reminded me of the really the jarring nature of the story that we're being told. And we're dealing with alcoholism. We're dealing with someone who is trying to find, quote, the way back, which anytime I heard the title, I could only think of the way, way back. Another great movie. I feel like we're going to do that and say that several times. We should just apologize now. (laughs) But, I, you know, I had to transition my brain and, and retrain it to think this is about finding your way back, essentially. And everything about Affleck's performance and the journey that his character goes through feels very sobering. He has to come to realizations about things in his life, about his past, his present, and what his future is going to look like. And the way that Gavin O'Connor frames all of this throughout it feels so good from a storytelling standpoint. It's obviously one of those stories that doesn't have a lot of high points of happiness. When we do get them, they're very much a payoff. But we're walking through this journey with Affleck's character, and it does feel sobering because we're coming to grips with the reality of who he is and where he's coming from and where he has to go from here and the battles that he has to face, the struggles that he's already dealt with that he has to continue to work through because of the events that have taken place in his life that are affecting him today. And so, yeah, sobering was the word that I felt really summed up how I experienced the whole movie. That's great stuff, man. I really like what you had to say there. And I went with a very similar word and that is recovery, which is essentially the theme of the movie in many ways. You know, it's not without its typical sport cliches in the personalities and the stories of these basketball team players. But I think that it is also a film that ultimately subverts that normal sports drama when it comes to the overall primary character arc and the ending. Because it's an addiction drama about how we cannot change the past and how we can affect the future one step at a time. And it's about the impactful relationships and uh, passions that we have that play into that process. 
And so it's, you know, simultaneously a feel good basketball story with a dose of exciting in-game action, but plenty of sincere feels and thoughts on how to recover. And, you know, it's all kind of balled up in Affleck's performance, which we'll talk about in depth, I'm sure. But this is such a raw experience for him. It was such a personal experience for him. And I think that that made this so much more affecting. And there are a lot of reasons why he is the way he is in this movie. But, you know, his path to sobriety, when it ultimately becomes clear, it shows us that The Way Back is not really a basketball movie. And I love that the title can be kind of played with duality as it's Jack's way back, but it's also this team's way back into being a, a team of basketball players, being a competitive team in the sport, in their league, from where they have fallen to. And so it's got multiple meetings, but ultimately film about recovery and redemption. And, you know, like Jack's therapist tells him in the film, he says, we can't change the past, Jack. But what we can do is choose how we move forward. That's recovery. And that's what I got out of this the most and enjoyed the most. All right. Well, spoiler warning is in full effect. We are going to discuss the details of the film. It is now streaming on HBO Max. So if you have that, you can go watch it there. If not, I don't know how else you'd get it. But I guess subscribe to HBO Max and you can watch it or find it somewhere. Because it's definitely worth seeing if you missed it in theaters earlier this year. Well, as sports dramas go, Patrick, we both have Gavin O'Connor on a pedestal, seeing as how he has made two of our absolute favorites already in Miracle and Warrior. And I wanted to start there. What do you think makes him so good at this genre? Why are his films so compelling and moving for us? And why is no one else trying to make this sort of film very often in Hollywood? Why is it only him? Well, I think sports dramas are attractive to a lot of people, and he understands that. What he does is he changes the sport, first of all. We have three movies. We have three different sports. And I think his appeal as a director is that he attaches that real personal connectivity to the characters. And the fact that he does not make the sport itself, the centerpiece. He surrounds the sport, excuse me, he surrounds the character or the main character with the sport and the sport itself becomes the caveat by which we get to enjoy the journey of the character. In the case of Miracle, yes, it was about the U.S. hockey team, but it was just as much about Herb and the individuals in that movie, the individual players it forced me to want to understand and learn more about these players after the fact. Warrior was not just about this sport of UFC. It was about these two brothers and about the relationship they have with their father. And the way back was just as much the same way. It's about this coach. It's about this guy who we see early on as someone who is clearly not a success, clearly living day to day and 
using a caveat of sport is something that's relatable, but it's something that's not at the forefront. And therefore, we don't have to know a lot about or even be in love with the sport itself. All three of these sports I'm not in love with. If it was college football, maybe I'd be a little bit closer. But I think what O'Connor does is he understands that. He understands that sports can be a very universal platform to tell stories and to tell stories about people and about overcoming. You're right in that he uses some of the cliche things that we recognize in a Rocky or something like that. But it's those things that we know as an audience make us feel good. We like the redemptive stories. We like knowing that someone or a series of people in a story, particularly in a sports drama, can overcome. But what that overcoming is, it's not just overcoming with a win or a loss. It's overcoming personal demons. It's overcoming a past that you want to rectify. And I think that's a common theme through this, what I would call the O'Connor trilogy, in that it's overcoming a failure from your past and asking the question, how do I move forward? How do I live beyond that now in the current state that I'm in? And I think that for me is what attracts me to his movies. Wow. I don't know if I have anything to add. That is like amazingly said right there. And I completely agree with all of that. I think that's extremely indicative of why we love his films and they he, they have a way of making you feel. He picks great composers and great cinematographers. And so those are two of the aspects that we usually don't necessarily talk about in quality of filmmaking. But in this case, I think that both of them really do accentuate the emotional response that I have to the film, uh, specifically in Rob Simonson's score. It is just I mean, absolutely gorgeous. It is these quiet, subtle piano backgrounds. They never overstay their welcome. They're not there all the time, but when they hit, they are, they're not too melodramatic, but they perfectly accent the emotion the characters are experiencing in the scene. And they're different. You know, often it's somber and reflective when Jack is going through his issues with alcoholism and thinking about his past. But then there are moments where it becomes towards the end of the film more triumphant when he starts to recover and things start to change in his outlook and the way that he is seeing the world. And I just think that the score, and, and I remember that very well from both Warrior and Miracle as well, that it does help to make this whole package and he also understands how to use cliches and, and without you mention this, you know, there are elements of this film that are always going to be there in a lot of sports dramas. If your underdog team is there, they're generally going to come back and win. Like that's kind of the point. That's what we want to see happen. Right. I like that. He cuts that short. We don't see them win in the playoffs. They don't need to win in the playoffs. Their win is simply becoming a better team. Yes, they have a big moment where they win a big game and they get into the playoffs, but we don't know what happens, Patrick. They might lose that first game. Friday Night Lights, you know, does this throughout their seasons. It's one of the things I appreciate is it's not just about win, 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 win. It's about little victories along the way. And he understands that. I mean, Warrior 
gosh, prime example when you think about the ending of that film and what it boils down to. And it's, it can't be about winning <laughs> for everybody. You know what I mean? And so it, it's in, it's incredible how he does that. And I think he is just able to take those cliches and inject them with just the right amount of space given to them and attention. They're not overdone. There is a great scene where he's introducing the basketball team that is totally cliche, where it's like we're going through, we're learning about who is who, and I love that kind of stuff. That's in every sports movie. If it wasn't there, Patrick, it wouldn't feel natural, wouldn't feel right, and that's the thing. We're not going to criticize him for that. We're going we're gonna to praise him for doing it well. Not for doing yeah. it, you know, and then, and he has a montage, by the way, I just want to say the movie has a montage. It was a scene that stuck out to me in a big way. And that is one of the things I like about him as well is like, he understands the power of that in this kind of film and how we specifically people like you and I are going to respond to that. So to your point, let me give kudos to that montage because I love a montage as much as anybody else, probably more so than most people. But here's where I think it's really great is that it's very repetitive. It's gameplay, score, lesson, gameplay, score, lesson. And the lesson is what I think really stands out. It, he could have stopped at gameplay, score, gameplay, score, gameplay, score. In fact, he could have shown a mismatch of wins and losses or them gradually winning by more and more with each score that pops up. But that wasn't the point. What he does really well is that afterthought, that what did we learn this week? What did we learn from this game? And what you're getting is that camaraderie building on it from game to game. And I loved it. What we're seeing is it doesn't matter what the win is, what the score is. They're all wins. We've realized that. What matters is what he's teaching these kids. What did we learn? We learned that we need to continue to press. We learn that we need to play with a chip on our shoulder. We learn, and I love that at the very end of this montage, there's this great little haha moment with Kenny, where what did we learn? We learned to respect the game. And then what we see, the next scene is Kenny running laps. Why? Because he's not respecting the cheerleaders that he keeps flirting with, and they're just calling out, you know, calling him out. And he's like, I got loving. Yeah, you know, there's a piece of my heart that's left for all you guys. With, Probably the funniest line, the funniest scene in the whole movie, I thought. Yes. you know, And I, I love it because Gavin keeps the girls off screen. And so all we see is him running laps. And we don't we don't know. And, and that it's great because of the way it sets up. And he's like, how many I got left? And you get to see the coach and the basketball team on the bleachers, right? And you would assume, you know, your natural assumption would be, well, that's who he's running laps in front. That's all that's there. The girls are off camera and the, off frame, rather. And... The coach is like, it's not up to me. And then we cut to them and they're like, you know, giving him the business. And yeah, man, the way he holds up that little heart and he says, girl, you're all in my heart. You each have your own little section. It is just, it's, it's, it's so real and, and just absolutely a much needed dose of hilarity in this, the yeah. middle of this movie. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that montage and I think is a microcosm of how O'Connor uses cliche as a stepping stone to tell his story, not as a mechanism or as the thing. It's good stuff. Well, the film doesn't pull any punches when it comes to Jack's drinking, and it is very blunt and, ve and it is in your face. It's constant. 
the way that this man is pounding alcohol from the very first scene of the film, you almost never see him without a drink unless he's literally on the court coaching at that moment. And it's been much talked about since the film released. Ben came out and he did interviews where he talked about his own life story and he talked about the issues he had with his own father and trying to live up to that in the same way that Jack's character deals with some of those things. And he talks about his own alcoholism, the family history of it and his own depression. And so it, it seems like Jack's life kind of parallels Ben's life. Jack was a star recruit, best player in California, going to go to Kansas gives that all up, right? And does drugs and all of these other things. And, you know, here we have Ben who has this terrific directing career that kicks off. He's got Gone Baby Gone, The Town. He's got a Best Picture winner in Argo. And then he seemingly loses his way. And I think the film really does a good job of working through that for him as a catharsis and showing that the root of his addiction is layered and complex and it goes back many years i think that one of the issues i saw people criticize about the film those who didn't like it as much was they said that you know people who are alcoholics aren't just alcoholics because of one traumatic event i.e losing a child and that's where i think that they don't under they didn't catch the whole thing in the film because that's not just why Ben is an alcoholic. He goes so far back. He goes back to his dad trying to prove something, trying to be what other people want him to be, feeling like he's a failure to his wife um, and, and so so forth. And of course, his child being a big part of that trigger. But there are a lot of reasons why Jack is the way he is and the way that we get a slow reveal of information all the way up until the end to kind of really get the fuller portrait of who Jack is, I think is intentional. And it's, first of all, it's great for a, from a cinematic standpoint, watching the movie. I enjoy that drama wise. It is, I think perfectly paced to give me a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And it feels very natural in the way that it kind of comes out. It doesn't feel like, oh, we're taking this big, long break to go, now let's talk about drama. Oh, we had a bunch of fun. Now let's talk about drama. You can feel that undercurrent throughout the movie with Ben Ben slash Jack's drinking and the way that that is portrayed, which I think is very scary because for me, I don't have this problem. I've never experienced this and I've never been close to someone who really had the issues that Jack slash Ben have in this film, but it, it plays out so much like that redemptive story, as I mentioned in recovery for both Ben and Jack at the same time. And honestly, Patrick, for me, that elevates the movie. Like it, it me, it means more. I, I can't say that it doesn't, it just does because it's more than just art. It's real person getting better. And it happens to be a real person that I just love and I'm a fan of as it is. And so I want him to be better as a human. I'm happy for him. I'm so I'm not just happy for Jack. I'm happy for Ben. The end scene in this film is one of my favorite shots. I absolutely love it. The way that he has talked about how he not hadn't touched a basketball because of the past and for years and years. And the very final shot is so beautifully done where we see the kids running into the gym for their final 
game in the play, or their first game in the playoffs, we get the radio broadcast talking about how much of an impact Jack had had, and he picks up that basketball and he just shoots hoops by himself. And I think that I it means, like I said, it just it, the way in which Affleck plays the character is almost like he's not even having to act and therefore it's as raw and as real and as good of a performance as you can get. And so it impacts me equally as much. Well, I'll tell you that there is very little about this movie that feels fake. And I've known relatives with alcohol abuse. I've been on the receiving end of that alcohol abuse, not like physically, but I've secondhand and firsthand experienced some of those conversations that Jack has with people. There are two specific moments early on in the film that stand out to me. One is his conversation with his sister, where he gets really upset that his ex-wife is talking to her and not to him about how he's doing. I've experienced that. And the whole, why doesn't she just talk to me instead of talking to you, talking to me, because there feels like there's some deception there. I've had that kind of conversation before. Having to walk through the anger and the blame and the shifting of that blame to other things, the accusatory, she needs to worry about her weight. You know, she needs to start having, stop having the battle with the refrigerator because she's losing that battle, that kind of, that kind of thing. And then the abrupt anger, the rage that comes from that. I'm familiar with that. I'm, I'm not as familiar with this next thing, but this is what feels very real. Jack has just been offered the job to take on the coaching position. He comes home to his crappy apartment, opens the refrigerator, and I believe, I think I paused, I think there's like almost 24 cans of beer. There's like I, an entire shelf or two that is nothing but beer and almost nothing else in the refrigerator. Right. No condiments, no yogurt, nothing. (laughs) And we see him take a beer out, put it in the refrigerator. There's another beer or put it in the freezer. There's another beer in the freezer. He pulls it out. He sits down and we hear him go through the motions of telling the father, rehearsing how he's going to tell him no. And over the course of what feels like an hour, we see him slowly start consuming all the beer the same repetition beer fridge freezer out beer drink and it's over and over again combined with the way in which he actually starts kind of getting less and less rehearsed and more and more blunt to the very end before he eventually passes out by saying i don't want to coach your effing team essentially And I think what O'Connor does so well in that scene is he walks us through what alcoholism can look like to an individual, how a person can process a seemingly optimistic opportunity and self-sabotage it. And to do it in a way that feels at first like they have to hide something, like they have to rehearse to to a point now by the end of this whole thing where they are just saying no i'm not gonna do this and what we see is jack essentially 
convincing himself that he's no good. And seeing those two scenes play out, I can't help but feel like, yep, that's what that could look like. I only have eyes into the first one, but I can imagine that that's what an alcoholic deals with, is this slow, repetitive, I'm going to do whatever I can to just drink myself into oblivion. I also enjoy the fact that Gavin O'Connor doesn't actually show us a crazy drunk. Like every scene with Jack after he's just sloshed, he's being carried to his door. He's not screaming or getting obnoxious. Even when he gets picked up by that woman, everything is very subtle, much like the score. Because I don't think O'Connor is trying to accentuate alcoholism. I think he's trying to accentuate the effects of giving over to something that inebriates you beyond any kind of consciousness. And so when you watch this play out and you see that from start to finish, it's all about Jack. It's all about his story. I think that's what makes that last moment at the end of the film so beautiful because he's not redeemed by becoming the coach again. He's not on the court with them doing that and sharing in that victory. He has a phone call with the assistant coach, but we don't hear the dialogue. We don't hear what that conversation is. We assume that it's him apologizing, but I love that we're left wondering and optimistically hoping that he's telling him, I'm sorry I called you an effing math teacher and that's all that you were. But I'm glad that we don't get dialogue. I'm glad that it stops with him saying, hey, it's Jack. And then it cuts. And that last scene is him shooting a basketball outdoors in this open air, almost symbolic of the fact that he's on his way to recovery, that he is still recovering, that his journey isn't over, that it's actually just begun, and that he has a long way back, but that he is on a good path forward. And I think that's what makes this movie so wonderful is the fact that we're left hopeful, but not left with all the answers. That's what I think any movie that centers around drama is what's made really well is when you have that sense of hope, but you're left kind of exploring what could be. It's different than Manchester by the Sea, which watching this for the first time back in the spring, I was like, is this going to turn into Manchester by the Sea and not just because we're dealing with another Affleck? No, we're not. And a dead child. Yeah, we're we're dealing with, well, yeah, that. But we're dealing with trauma. We're dealing with grief. But we have moments of levity, which Manchester by the Sea didn't appear to have, didn't seem to have. I think I remember my one word takeaway. I don't think we were doing that back then. But I remember just thinking one word was sad, just sad all over. And you need levity. You need a hope. You need a roundedness to these stories in order to be fully effective and fully embedded in in your heart and in your in your mind because otherwise you're just left feeling like well that sucks i don't want to go back and revisit that and it's different aaron from a feel-good movie like rocky where you're like yeah the team won or wow he overcame this that's part of it but the bigger victory is that we see jack on a path that 
we want him to be on. Not that he won the big game, but that he has recognized what his demons are and has started to essentially exercise them. And for me, I think that's what makes this movie special. Man, yeah, it's good stuff. He, The scene that you brought up where he is going through the motions and trying to practice his rejection speech was also something really powerful for me, almost like a connecting point, honestly, because it showed me a look into someone with alcoholism that I don't often see depicted that way in film. You usually see the rage, you see the violence, you see the so stuttering around impossible, unable to actually do anything, but you don't see somebody who is still mostly functional for the most period of the time, but dealing with the personal demons, dealing with that battle in his head on and on. Like you said, his fear of failure, his fear of not being worthy of taking that job. And it comes back in one of the most heartbreaking moments in the movie when he gets fired, when he's late and he's drunk at practice and things had been going well, things had been looking up. And for me, I lose it. I actually get teary eyed when he starts begging to stay because he's not the typical drunk in a movie who gets angry and yells. He eventually does that. He does lash out a bit because he shows that rage that he has. He never does it, never does it to harm anyone, but he has an outburst, but he starts to beg and legitimately plead to keep his job for the father. He's like, you know, that he realizes it's the one good thing he has that he has finally attained something that has value for him in life again. And now it's being taken away. And it's just, it's, it's tragic to watch that happen and to see someone dealing with that. And you want so badly throughout this movie to be able to just wrap your arms around this guy, much like his friend, I think his name is Joe does when he takes him home to make sure he gets there safely and just pull him out of these situations and be like, listen, you're a good dude. And you have value and you have something to offer, but you, you can't see that when you're in the throes of the addiction and whether it's alcohol or something else, like I can't relate to an alcohol addiction, but I can relate to addictions that have harmed relationships in my life. And I didn't see it in the moment. I saw it when I lost something and then had a 30,000 foot view looking in the past going, wow, that was me. But you just, you, you can't do that. And I think that the movie does a great job of showing that. And, and of course it does because Ben is walking through this experience that he's been walking through in real life anyway. Um, and it works just brilliantly here, portrayal wise. I really do hope that he gets some award recognition. I, I have him, I'm planning on nominating him at least in the Seattle Film Critics Awards. I'm going to champion him. He probably won't get it, but to me, it's his most important and best performance so far. So I'm going to be in his corner. Well, you know, midway through the film or so, the big reveal finally comes where we find out that Jack has lost his son. And suddenly, maybe we have a different view of this man and what we've seen of him up until this point. Did that knowledge change the way that you saw Jack up to then? And did it 
how did it frame the amount of sympathy you did or didn't have for him already? Well, it didn't change much. And I think it's because of the fact that we get such a realistic portrayal of alcoholism. What I know about alcoholism and the people that it's affected that I know is that it comes from some sort of trauma, one or many things. And I don't think my sympathy had changed for Jack. I think what it did was it helped me understand him a little bit better. And the reason why he reacts the way he does. I felt like watching him portray this alcoholic early on, you knew something was up. You didn't think he was just this way, that he was just a bad husband. You kind of get that early on, but the way in which his sister reacts to him the way in which his ex-wife talks to him at lunch in that scene earlier you come to realize that jack's not a bad guy something must have made him who he was and so when we find out that it's the loss of his son what i started wondering is did he do something was there a car accident Um, of course we find out pretty quickly what happened But then you start kind of realizing more on an empathetic scale of, man, as a father, I understand the idea of never wanting to lose your child in any way, shape, or form. And even if that was not your fault, you will always feel like you didn't do enough as a father because your son's or daughter isn't around anymore. And I think for me, that helped me not understand his alcoholism, but connect with him personally because I know what it's like to be a father. I know what it's like to be a husband and fail at those things in life, but not necessarily understand what that failure looks like on a permanent scale where you lose one of those two things or both. And so when we get that backstory, I think it just amplifies why he's an alcoholic. It doesn't necessarily increase my sympathy. I was already there, but I think it helps me understand and become a little bit more empathetic towards him. Yeah, that's good. I think for me, I remember it hitting me like a ton of bricks the first time. So maybe the second time I just, you know, I knew it was coming. And so I was able to understand, I think maybe that's part of why the movie was elevated for me even more on a rewatch too, is because watching that first half, I had backstory and I understood why he was the way he was instead of, you know, it's slowly coming out piece by piece. And some of the early hints about his relationship with his wife and such made sense because I knew their outcome already. I think that it always is going to make me sympathetic and empathetic for a character when I see one that has lost a child. That's something that obviously any parent to yours more than probably anything else in the world and no one wants to ever experience and no one who hasn't had it happen to them could ever really fully imagine or understand what that could be like. I think that this movie does such a good job of not again, falling into melodramatic territory in where it just lingers on that aspect 
to the point where you're just, like you said, one more takeaway, sad. Instead, you get enough to understand the character and where his emotional state is. And that's all you need. And they're just a short few powerful scenes, like going to the birthday party and slowly the audience understanding why he has an aversion to this. His friends are there. Why would he be afraid? But you get moments where he talks to a kid and you see how good of a dad he would have been. And then later, how good of a father figure he essentially becomes to one of the players on the team. And again, Gavin O'Connor, part of why I love what he does, he doesn't hit you over the head with that, Patrick. He doesn't say, hey, everybody, big neon arrow, check out this theme. Brandon, I'm your father figure. Get it? Because I don't have a kid anymore. Like, it's not like that. It's subtle. It's just an undercurrent that is indicative of how that character actually is as a person and so it makes sense that this would be the actions this character would take this is how this character's relationships would go and the relationship with his wife for me is pretty strongly powerful as well because i felt like there were parts of that i could relate to being a divorcee and obviously not divorced because we lost a kid and we fell apart or because of alcoholism driving us you know away from each other but patrick i almost my connecting point my 1b if it were is this moment with his wife at the end of the movie where he invites her to come to his rehab and he sits her down and he apologizes and this is what i was talking about where i can relate to this not because i've been an addict of alcohol but because i've had addictions that affected my marriage and led to its downfall contributed to it and so when he sits there and he has this little talk with her he says i should have come here a long time ago i just want you to know that i have failed you and i know that i failed our marriage and i failed our son because i didn't take care of his mom and i hope that one day you can see in me the man that you once hoped i would be and i'm sorry it is one of the most real non movied up script speeches that I've ever heard. It felt so raw to me. It felt like something a real person would sit there and say when they were finally trying to come around and apologize for something that they know they've done that they can't undo, right? And so it hurt me because I could feel that. I could understand what he was going through, but I thought that that was so important for this movie not to get them back together. It's not a patch. That's the thing. This is real life that we're dealing with here. So yes, it's a sports drama, but it's real. It's not, you're not going to apologize to her and all of a sudden we're over the death of our son and we're back together and everything's fine. It's about the process. It's about the recovery and the redemption. And though this is part of that is accepting reality, accepting the responsibility for the things that you have done, your part in it, not worrying about their part in it, making your peace. He's made his apology. He is letting go of carrying this with him, which is what he needs in order to be able to move forward and take those steps. And I just thought that the movie does a great job of capturing that through, again, very limited amount of time with him and his wife together. So I think that's where 
Gavin O'Connor is really, really locking in on success is the fact that those moments, similar to that last shot at the end of the movie, doesn't leave you with a bow. It leaves you with the start of a bow, what that bow could look like. We don't necessarily, appropriately enough, get that reconciliation of a marriage because it wasn't ever about him reconciling his marriage. It was about reconciling his relationship with her. And it was about reconciling his relationship with his son and about reconciling his relationship with himself. And all those things are going to take time. And I say that in the present tense because the movie leaves you with that present tense mentality of things will get better, but they're not necessarily there just yet, but they're getting closer he's on the way back to all those things and just like the title is very subtle i think his journey is subtle and that's what i think makes it feel realistic and not like another redemption movie is because of the fact that he doesn't give us o'connor doesn't give us all the answers he gives us some so that we can speculate and go i really do believe he's going to have better days he's gonna have bad days too because the movie toys with that a little bit and that i mean that's that's part of a plot what you see is i'm watching them beat this team that they lost to earlier in the season that will get them into the playoffs and it's happening 30 minutes before the movie's supposed to end and i'm like wait no 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 this should be 10 minutes left there should be 10 minutes left in this movie because this should be the climax no it's not and it's just a further reminder that it was never about the basketball team it was about him and to have the cojones to do that, man, that's, that's, that's ballsy is what it is. Yeah. And I wonder if that turned people off. Like, I wonder if some people that maybe why they didn't respond to this as well, because maybe they expected it to be about the basketball team, like a traditional, you know, sports movie might have been and not understood that they were not signing up for that, that they were signing up for Ben Affleck, despite there being a fair amount of basketball. You know, it is billed as a sports drama, and it is around this mediocre high school basketball team that he ends up coaching. But I wanted to talk about the amount of basketball that's there. Like, was there enough basketball for you? Did you enjoy how he shoots in-game action? Because that is, again, another key element of any good sports drama is the actual sport itself and how it's portrayed. I think it's very essential to this type of film that that's done well. And then I also want to talk a bit about Jack's coaching methods as well, which I think are very different than what the boys have experienced before. I really enjoyed seeing him be so raw and out of place at this Catholic high school. He is consistently breaking the code of conduct himself while hypocritically expecting something different from his team. And I wondered how you felt about his style and, and coaches who do this, like, is there a line for you of if he is not hurting the kids, is there a line where motivating them is done in a way that is not acceptable to you? <laughs> this is this is difficult. Let me go back to the easy question. 
the in-game sports, yeah. the the wit shot is really great. Having just finished the first season of Ted Lasso, I can tell you that television choreography of sports is obviously at a lower level than feature film. And I know that's an apples to oranges comparison, but I love the fact that we get full shots. We don't just get cutaways, which tells me that these kids were probably either practicing a whole lot to make these jumpers pretty seamless or that they were athletes to begin with and learn to act or vice versa. I think that that's pretty ambitious to be able to do that, to hold on certain shots. I don't remember there being a lot of cuts to show like, oh, he shot it, and then the next thing we see it going into the basket. I I think that inside the high school environment, to me, that's what high school ball looked like to me. Very confined, very loud, very echoey, a lot of acoustical issues. And even during the the practice montages, that felt to me like a legit practice uh, or legit practices to see the the sound. I mean, I love the sound editing during these sequences with the squeaking shoes and the echo of the the basketball on the hardwood floors and how that's different early on when they have like zero fans versus in full capacity arenas at a high school level. It's all really good. But visually speaking, I loved it. And I thought it was perfectly, I thought it was the perfect amount. Again, I like the fact that the first game, he goes out there, he's trying to motivate these guys after they do that goofy dance. And he's like, all right, let's do it. And the next thing you get is a stopping of the film and then a score. And that becomes O'Connor's trademark throughout the movie. Whether it's a win or a loss, we don't have to see everything. You have to kind of truncate things, especially for a montage like that. All right. The coaching methods on a personal level, I would never in my life let my kid play for this coach. First of all, because I think there's a lot of, it's a different kind of coaching motivation. And I can't help but think about Gary Gaines from Friday Night Lights, how he has to be a different coach to different players. And I think what worked well here. If I knew the conversations that would take place off the court with a coach and a player, like we see him with um, with the with the point guard, with the captain, I may have allowed my kid to do that, to be a part of this team. But I think that his methods, at least early on, were pretty aggressive. Now, I don't think that that's necessarily uncommon because if this was at a public school, I don't see that being much of an issue. Like the swearing and the way in which he yells at his kids and tells them to do certain things, it's accented by the fact that he's in an environment where that's not the primary focus. In fact, the priest or the chaplain says, we're not here just to win basketball games. I mean, our goal is to mold these kids' character in the image of Christ. And... I think that that's more important and the school thinks that's more important. Now that's not elevated and that's not necessarily called to become an important thing until the moment where he loses his job because of his drinking. I think it's played for last for the most part, but at the same time as a parent, if especially if I'm in that same belief system, I'm going to have issue with a coach like that because to me that comes across as win above anything else. So 
in a biased point of view, I would say I'd probably have an issue with it. But at the same time, you can't deny the fact that he motivates these kids because that's what they want. These kids want to be motivated that way. They're not offended by the way in which he does it. Yeah. So I, I don't have any problem with how way he does it either at, or at all. And I think that the reason I don't is because he's never demeaning to the kids. He doesn't talk to the kids. He doesn't call them fat. He doesn't call them slobs and lazy. He's not, you know, the varsity blues coach who is a complete a-hole to the kids. He uses language that the school doesn't approve of, which shouldn't be put up with or accepted. If you have a set of standards, then you should expect the people you hire to hold to them. But they didn't. And they get what they got. And if they're willing to live with that, then I don't have a problem with it. I think that there are there are several scenes that really go through the throughout the movie that, that speak to all of this. And I enjoyed every single one of them. The dancing scene that you mentioned is hilarious. And he's like, what are they doing? You know, and they come over there and he says, no more dancing. He's like, you're one in nine. You need to stop embarrassing yourselves by jumping around like you won the Powerball, which I thought was great. And, you know, he slowly starts to make these inroads into these kids and change the way they see the game. Because when we're introduced to them, I love that moment, by the way, when the assistant coach is running down the roster. We get that first moment he walks in the gym and they're all practicing. He's scouting them and they're like, you know, Brandon Durrett, he's the point guard, good feel for the game, easily the most talented, the kind of kid who stays after practice to, you know, shoot some on his own. You know, Chubb Hendricks, Kenny Dawes, he's a showboat, but solid shooter with long range stroke. And we get that moment between about Kenny and about Marcus that shows Jack's knowledge right away where he's like, Marcus, I, I got a candy stroke, coach. You know, I, I, I hit the most threes in the team. He's like, out of how many attempts, you know? And he's like, that's 26%. You know, and Kenny, how many did you make? And he's 41%, you know? And they're like, oh. And so we get these introductions to these characters. And as he's rolling through this and coaching them different, the one thing that he does is he tells them and challenges them at one point where he ends up, the kid ends up getting the flagrant foul. Bobby Freeze does. They're sixth man, the safety for the football team. And it's because during the timeout, they're getting whooped and he's yelling at them. And he's like challenging them to find their manhood. And he says, you've got to play rough. You've got to show some pride. And that's how it manifests itself, right? But you see that that is not an endemic way in which they play. The team is not a dirty team. He is not coaching them to be a dirty team. But that one play changes a little bit the way that they perceive themselves. And this transitions into a scene on the bus on the way home with the chaplain. And the chaplain's talking to him. He's like, our mission at Hayes isn't just to win basketball game. It's to develop young men of integrity and faith. And he's challenged... And Jack's like, you know, do you think that Jesus actually gives a shit about that? And I love the chaplain's response. He's like, I do think Christ gives a shit, Jack. <laughs> Don't underestimate the impact you can have on these young men. And that's where, despite the way that his coaching style may be perceived by some because of the language, I think that it actually goes to show something. That, you know, I grew up with this because sailors were known for cursing, right? And 
using curse words was a sign that you were somehow a lesser person or you weren't a good communicator or it was bad. You know, it was like it was so frowned upon for whatever reason. But I mean, in the big scheme of things there, if you're not, there's a way in which you can curse about a thing and then there's a way you can curse at a person, right? And those are two very different things. And I don't think Jack does the latter to where it's wrong in how he treats the kids. And you can see the impact he has throughout the movie, both on the team as a whole on the court and on Marcus and the way he treats him by kicking him off the team for being late and for and for having an outburst. And then the way in which he lets him get back on the team, you see Marcus grow and the way in which he takes Brandon under his wing and kind of forces that leadership role on him and brings that out of him when he knows that it exists there. And on Dan, the assistant coach, right? I think that that's a very underrated piece of this relationship package too, because there's a great moment, Patrick, before the big game against Memorial, the second game, where Dan is walking out. They're about, they've already prepped. They're about to go out to the court. And he stops at the door and he turns around and he says, I know nobody expects us to win, and we have no business being here, but I really want to beat these effing guys. And you can see, like, Jack's motivated this guy as well. And he goes out there, and he gives one of these great, like, speeches that you're going to get in any sports dramas. He says to his team, he's like, they got more talent over there. They probably got a better coach. He's very honest. But I promise you, they are not a better team. I would take anyone on this bench right now for any one of those players. You worked hard to be here. You earned this. Have some fun out there. Now go out there and earn the playoffs. He always makes them earn it. He instills in them a belief that A, they can do it, and an understanding that hard work is going to be required in order to accomplish their goals. And I think that it's wonderful. It really is. And they've inspired him. And it shows in the very last scene there where it's pregame before the playoffs. And again, Dan is coaching them and they're getting ready to go out there on the court. And he says, hey, fellas, let's win this effing game for Coach Cunningham. Right. And it's it's awesome. Like, because they're not cursing in a way that is angry and hurtful to someone there it's almost like a homage you know it's it's a sign of respect to what he has instilled in them how he has changed them as young men and how he has helped lead them to the place they are in their goals so i i love the relationships between the coach and the kids in this movie patrick and I, you know i understand some people might criticize it and think that there's not enough of the kids like oh you don't get to know all the kids well enough i think it's just right personally because it's not their story they are in his orbit and we get enough of them to understand them and have them be characters with their own you know personalities but it they don't need to be the stars of the show in order for it to work well i wanted to ask one last question about audiences and how we take this story in uh and how we can essentially be inspired by it. And does it do that for you? Do you think that it can take Jack's journey of having this great dream ahead of him, losing it, and then achieving it through a different means so he doesn't go to Kansas and become a star basketball player? 
but he has an incredible impact on a bunch of young men, which is in a completely different way, something even more valuable than what he could have done. And now his life is of value and he has, you know, successfully accomplished this thing that he thought he was never going to do. Did you, do you feel any inspiration from this when you watch it? And do you think that other people do? I do. And I think that the big idea that you pull away from this is that you're not defined by one success. You're not defined by one moment in your life or one season of your life that you have the opportunity to continue to reinvent yourself and to always be in that growth mindset of knowing I don't want to just be defined as this guy. I mean, think about us. We've been doing this show for what, three years now? And we've kind of come to grips with the fact that unless something crazy happens, we're what we are. I mean, our audience is going to be this dedicated following that may grow, it may not, but we appreciate the people that are connected to it, either as contributors or as Facebook group members or as just listeners. And to me, that's a success. But if I live there, if I stay in that moment and say, this is what I'm defined as, as the feel and film guy or the successful podcast guy based on my own personal success or what I define that as, man, I've limited myself. So what happens 10 years from now if I'm still doing this? If this is all my life is, I don't know that I want that kind of life because we grow, because we move, because we are always in a place where our lives change. Where was I before COVID hit is going to be different than where I'm going to be after all this happens with my relationship with my son and my wife. And I think for those people that come out of high school and go into college, some people may not do that. I mean, I've known several people who are just as, quote, successful not having a higher education because to them, success is something different. It's defined as something that doesn't have to have a diploma on an office wall. The job that I have, the career that I have, I didn't expect that 10 years ago. And if I end up someplace else, I hope that I'm still doing the same thing, which is motivating individuals, which is being a people leader, because that's what I've learned that I can be. I didn't think I was a teacher when it came to uh, certain things like theology or whatnot. And those have not necessarily come easy, and I'm not necessarily like an fully educated theologian, but I feel like I offer truth to people when it comes to that portion of my life. And so what I would say is that this movie allows for the opportunity to forgive yourself and to move forward from a failure or a regret, knowing that that's not the only thing that defines you or that has to define you. And that what you might have as a limitation physically or emotionally or mentally or hereditarily speaking, you're not going to be defined by that. And success doesn't have to look like what the world calls that. So I think the way back is something that's pretty relevant for folks that feel like one path is all there is or a path out of high school or a path out of college is the only path? No, it's a path that leads to something else. And we have to be able to be open to that. 
and also be willing to accept the failures that come with it and some of the collateral damage that is affected by that. We've got to be willing to extend grace to those that we've hurt and be able to receive that grace from those that want to reach out. I love, love, love Jack's relationship with his sister. His sister, I don't think once ever throws him out and says, you're on your own. She calls him out for the crap that he does. <laughs> or I mean, even early on, she says, I, I tried calling you. She says, oh yeah, my cell phone. I didn't have my cell phone. I said, well, why do you even have a cell phone if you're not going to keep it on or keep it with you? And, and then later on, you know, that scene that I talked about earlier, she stands up to him. She doesn't back down necessarily. She doesn't yell at him. She stays calm with him. And then after the accident, he, she comes up to me and she goes, Jack, I'm going to get help for you. She stays. She stays with him. And those kinds of people are people that I want to be. Those that don't leave when things get really rough, when I feel insulted, when I feel taken advantage of, where I am that person who continues to offer that kind of kindness. And I want that from other people when I fail them. To be willing to say, I failed you, please forgive me, and to hear them say, I forgive you. And it's going to be a long road back from this or that, but we're going to do it together. And so I think there's a lot of that stuff that you can take away from a movie like this. Well, that's great. I don't really have a lot to add to that. Other than I will say that I think that one of my big takeaways was just how through Jack we see you can struggle, you can have problems of your own and still simultaneously be having a positive impact on others. And so you don't have to get to the fixed place. You don't have to be better, quote unquote, in order to have that impact on someone else's life. And he's a mess throughout the majority of this movie. And those kids become better kids and better basketball players because of him while he's still a mess. And I love that about this. And I really take that away for myself, just that I may not be perfect. And I, I can't allow myself to go into any situation thinking that I have to be quote unquote perfect in order to have a positive impact on someone else's life. I can do that all day long, every day. And I should think about things and relationships in that way and not be afraid of that. So I like that. Last but not least, connecting point time. We have the same connecting point. So I'm going to let you kick us off and we'll go from there. So this is the conversation that Jack has in the truck with his ex-wife. And he's starting to come to grips with the fact that he has lost his son and that he has started to admit how this has affected him. And what we get, Aaron, is a moment where he is really brutally honest for the first time about where he is. He says, I never stopped being angry. He says, I miss my son. I don't think he's in a better place because the best place he can be is right here with me and you. And as someone who comes from a background of faith like we do, 
yes, there's going to be a part of me that says he is in a better place because this world is nothing compared to eternity. But the fact is, I would want my son with me. If my son left before I died, that would be a cheat. I would feel emotionally cheated. And to me, Affleck's performance in that moment really articulates a sense of raw, unedited emotion in a way that's not yelling and it's not out of control, but you still feel his sense of that lack of control. Because for the first time, he's able to just verbalize how frustrated and how angry he actually is at the fact that his son was taken away from him and it completely wrecked him. And so walking through that moment with his ex-wife, I love her reaction. I love that she's just sitting there and her facial expressions are saying everything like, I understand. I feel that too. And I think that watching him go through and partially attacking her, but then kind of retracting that and saying, I'm sorry for saying that after he says, you know, you've moved on, you've got this whatever job and you're screwing this guy. And then he stops himself and he says, I'm sorry for that. I, I don't think he says I didn't mean it, but he essentially says, this is just who I am. So you see these parts of him, this bitterness that's coming out that he's so used to doing. And at the same time, he's trying to control it, rein it in. And she is just absorbing that. And she sees that. And in that moment, Aaron, you can see that she didn't stop loving him. She couldn't live with him anymore. But she didn't stop caring for him and stop understanding that he is still the father of her child and that they had that not just in common, but they had that mutual love for him and that he was lost to both of them. It wasn't like he was lost to Jack and not her. And I felt like in that scene, we actually got these two individuals on an equal playing field. And yes, her choices may have led her down a different path that may be considered better, but she's still hurting too. She's not over it, and I don't know that she'll ever get over it. And so for a moment, we see equality with both of them that, as an audience, I think we needed to see. We needed to know that not only was Jack not in it alone, but that somebody else was feeling that same kind of stuff, and that that pain is the same for both of them. Now, how they reacted to it obviously was different, but it allows us to see that Pain doesn't play favorites when it comes to parents and the loss of their child. That to a mother and a father, when you lose a child, it is a loss for both of you. It is not an uneven loss for one of you. Yeah, I mean, wow. Yes, to all of that, 100% yes. It's definitely something that is not the forefront of the movie, though. It's not about his wife Angela's suffering and her reactions to it because she has seemingly handled it better. And, and I, you know, I resonated with some of those aspects of this conversation. You covered extremely well the parts that made me sad, but I think there's so much nuance and it's, it's such a short scene, right? But 
you know, it starts off by, you know, him, him expressing, I never stop being angry and her owning that, understanding that saying, I know you're suffering. And that's when he you know, goes into the, I miss my son, which is just absolutely gut wrenching for all of us. But we see the Jack that is vulnerable for a split second here before he turns on her and he comes at her and says, but your suffering is not like mine because you've already moved on and you're banging a guy while we're married. And he hasn't been able to express this. And I, and I love this because I think that the redemption and the recovery that we talk about, Patrick, I think it, it's a matter of baby steps, man. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't snap your fingers and you're fixed. And Jack doesn't get to snap his fingers and be fixed either. He has this conversation with his wife where he gets to be honest and they get to have a brief collective sharing of the pain that they went through and that they still are feeling and express that. But then he shows us that he's not already yet. He's still blaming others. He's still jealous, I think, of her ability to move on from this and to have something else of value in her life that helps her cope. And he hasn't quite gotten to that point where he realizes for him what that could be. And maybe it's the basketball team. And it's all wrapped up in this beautifully shot, very tight, minimal scene. And it's just so, so powerful um, for all of those reasons. But yeah, I mean, the the line of the movie being, I miss my son, is just absolutely crushing. The way that he says it, the way that he says, I don't think he's in a better place. I believe that the best place for him is right here with you and me now. And I felt that. I have often wondered how I would respond if something like tragic like that happened to me. I've seen it happen to other people and wondered how you could not be angry with a God after that and, and not go through that period that so many people who've experienced this kind of loss do go through. They get angry with God when they experience a loss and they want to blame God and they don't want to believe that that could be better for the, the child or for the person that it's gone. And so to see Jack go through that just felt very natural uh, and very honest and open. And I, you know, I think it was an important piece for their relationship too, because it ultimately made the apology scene that I, was my one B as impactful as it turns out to be. For sure. And, that scene, more than anything, for someone who's grieving or the grieving process, it really does actualize the ability to have permission to grieve, have permission to be completely honest. I mean, I think in a faith-based world, that's one thing that is potentially missing when it comes to showing that on screen, that it's okay to say, I am so frustrated i'm so mad that this was taken away from me and i don't believe this i don't believe that this is the place that needs to be where i live 
for the next however long. It's not fair. It's absolutely not fair. And when you have a moment like this in a way that is so raw and it's consistent with the rest of the movie, I think it fits really well. And Affleck's performance is top notch in this moment. So yay for him. I hope he gets some awards this year in the crazy year that it's been. And um, if not, it will be tragic. Well, that wraps up another episode here at Feelin' Film. December is right around the corner, but we aren't quite done with this month yet, as we are bringing you our November donor pick this week, as well as some good old bonus content. And up next in our main episode train is the classic basketball favorite, Hoosiers. And we hope you all have a great week. As Aaron and Gimli say goodbye to us via camera here, I'm going to say goodbye to you as well, Aaron and Gimli. Thanks for another great conversation. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.